But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation has come near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led by captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Good morning. Uh, Last week I heard Jeff preached about sin, and I was in Sin City. As many of you know, I'm a fight fan, and so I was there for a fight, but it got canceled. So bummed. And so the fight got canceled, and I already bought the tickets, and the money was spent. So what ended up happening was um, I took my mom out on a date. We went to Vegas. And so we went to, like, Cirque du Soleil and went to O and stuff. And so you sons out there, take your moms out on dates. Honor your mother. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just fill us, open our minds and our eyes and our hearts to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new to our church here, we just go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and so this morning, this is where we're at, Luke chapter 21, and we're going to attempt to cover verses 20 through 31. Now, if you haven't been here for a while, just for a quick review and to just gather our bearings before we dive into our scripture this morning, let's first take a look at verses 5 through 7 because we're given the reason for this discourse, for this prophecy in chapter 21. And so this chapter is known as the Olivet Discourse or the Olivet Prophecy, and it started with the disciples in chapter 5. Speaking of the temple, how was it adorned with noble stones and offerings? And then Jesus responded in verse 6, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Then the disciples asked in verse 7, Teacher, When will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Then Jesus warned the disciples of these bad things that are going to take place in verses 8 through 11. He's warning them to not be led astray and not be terrified of disastrous events that are going to be happening. He followed this warning with verses 12 through 19, which is about the persecution the disciples would face. And what we've covered so far is not in regards to the second coming of the resurrected Christ. Now those are events that were to happen before the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem. So when the disciples asked Jesus in verse 7, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? The answer to that question is in verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Verse 20 is the sign. 
Now keep in mind that Jerusalem was a walled city. You can go there today and you'll be able to see the ancient wall that is still there. So the picture here is clearly describing military forces gathering around, positioning themselves to besiege a city. Jesus already spoke about this in Luke chapter 19. And he was really saddened that he knew what was going to happen. Starting in verse 41 in Luke chapter 19. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The destruction of Jerusalem was due to the rejection of Jesus as Messiah and rejection of God's salvation. They were recipients of the Old Testament Scriptures. You can read about this in Isaiah. I believe it's chapter 47, 48. Other prophets have spoken about this as well. But they still refused to accept Jesus. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 31, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And that proved to be true as Jesus did rise from the dead and they didn't receive Him as Messiah. They didn't hear Moses and the prophets. Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, came to preach and teach like no other before Him or after Him. He performed miracles, fulfilled the law and the prophets as taught in the Scriptures and as spoken by the prophets, but still rejected. Before their very eyes stood God. And they didn't recognize Him. Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 14 when He was responding to Philip. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know Me, Philip? Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. God laid everything out before them without contradiction to the Scriptures or to the prophets, and they still rejected Him. Not only did they reject Him, they killed Him. So their question in verse 7 When will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? The answer is in verse 20. The sign is, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. When you see this sign, run. Run. Verse 21, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. What we've looked at so far in chapter 21 is in regards to the destruction of the second temple and of Jerusalem in 70 AD. If this was in regards to the end of the world, why would Jesus tell his disciples to flee? It's the end of the world. Where are you going to go? Right? It would make no sense for that. So verse 20 can't be taken as a sign about the end of the world because Jerusalem has been surrounded by armies about 40 times in its history. Most recently in 1967. And the rulership of Jerusalem has changed hands 26 times. Most recently in 1948. And since 48, there have been four wars where Jerusalem was the actual battleground. 
and the world has not ended. I think. But what we've looked at so far is a timeline prior to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. And what history tells us is what happened to the early Christians after this time. The Bible prophesies about it, but early historians can confirm what happened. Because many Jews and early Christians during this time, 66 to 70 A.D., escaped. They escaped from Jerusalem because of these disastrous circumstances brought upon them by the Romans, as recorded by Jewish historian Flavius Josephus in his Jewish War writings. You can read it. It's all there. Other early Christian historians, Eusebius, Epiphanius, also wrote about what happened during this time period. Eusebius wrote in History of the Church, Book 3, Chapter 5, The whole body, however, of the church at Jerusalem, having been commanded by a divine revelation given to men of approved piety there before the war, removed from the city, and dwelt at a certain town beyond the Jordan called Pella. Here, those that believed in Christ, having removed from Jerusalem, as if holy men had entirely abandoned the royal city itself, and the whole land of Judea, the divine justice for their crimes against Christ and his apostles, finally overtook them, totally destroying the whole generation of these evildoers from the earth. Epiphanius wrote in Panarian, book 29, chapter 7, points 7 through 8. The Nazarene sect exists in Borea, near Coeli, Syria, in the Decapolis, near the region of Pella, and in Bashan, in the place called Kokaba, which in Hebrew is called Chochabe. There is where the sect began when all the disciples were living in Pella after they moved from Jerusalem, since Christ told them to leave Jerusalem and withdraw because it was about to be besieged. He's making reference to Luke 21. For this reason, they settled in Perea, and there, as I said, they lived. This is where the Nazarene sect began. Historians recorded that early Christians fled Jerusalem. And traditionally, it is believed that all Christians made it out of Jerusalem because they listened to Jesus' prophecy in Luke chapter 21, and they fled to Pella. Now, why Pella? I was going to make some silly... Pella joke with Pella. Because it is Oakland, right? Let's not go there. They went to Pella because it was a Hellenistic city. Did I say something? Did I make a joke that I didn't know it? How awesome. I'm trying to get it now. But it was a Greek city. It's a Greek city, which meant they found refuge from both of these parties that were persecuting them, both from the Romans and the Jews. So they found refuge in this Greek city. This is where they didn't have to face blasphemous charges from the Jews. And this is where they can practice their monotheistic beliefs without persecution from the Romans. So this was a great city for them. Pella is found in modern-day Jordan. It's there today. If you're like, oh, you're making that stuff. Those Christians make stuff up all the time. There's an archaeological site in Jordan. Go look at it. Go spend your thousands of dollars instead of believing me for free. But it's on the east side of the Jordan. It's on the east side of the Jordan, in Jordan, south of the Sea of Galilee. And you can even visit it there today. Now, Jesus warned his followers of that day, and he told them, run. When you see this, run. And they did. They did to Pella. But those who didn't believe in Jesus' prophecy faced death. Not just quick death. Some of them suffering death. Now, how do we apply this to us today? Because I think 
Jesus prophesied about that back then, and Jesus prophesied about his return in our future. Yet there are those who don't believe in Christ's prophecy that he's going to return. So why the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem? Well, it was judgment on religion. And I know that religion is probably an obstacle to people believing in Christ today, but that does not mean that Christ's prophecy of Him returning is not true. See, God is not interested in the acts of religion if our character doesn't reflect who God is. And I apologize if the church has been an obstacle to you to come to Jesus. But this is what the Old Testament Scriptures say about religion and what's happening in your character and your heart. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, our relationships with God are not just about religious actions. What is happening inside of you? And this was a warning the prophets of the Old Testament kept hammering to the people that who they were on the inside was not reflecting that of God. So many warnings throughout the Scriptures, through the prophets, and it came to a place where the people who pursued religion were interested in pursuing religion rather than pursuing God. And God had to bring all of this to justice. Verse 22, For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. All the warnings of the Old Testament fulfilled because what was supposed to be a thriving relationship with God was turned into an empty religion. Rather than living lives of righteousness, justice, love, the knowledge of God, they pursued sin. And so the punishment ensued in 66 through 70 AD. Verse 23, Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Pregnancy and then the motherhood of nursing babies is supposed to be a very sweet and beautiful time of life. It is a blessing. It is a time of blessing. Instead, it was a curse and a cause of distress. Blessings versus curses. Now, a very interesting comparison can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, which we don't have time to cover completely. But let's look at some verses there. While you turn there, if you want to, let me just start off by reading verses 1 and 2. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. After this, there's a series of blessings that follows. Now some form of the word blessed is found nine times until we get to verses 13 through 15, where there is a transition between moving from blessedness to cursed. And then there's a very big switch in verse 15. And it starts out like this. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And then it's a series of curses where some form of the word cursed is found eight times. But 
It is actually much worse than the repetition of the word cursed indicates. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is 68 verses long. 14 of those verses are blessings. 54 are curses. For those of you who strongly believe in positive reinforcement, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but the scoreboard reads 54 to 14. Just saying. Now verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses, 54 curses worth, shall come upon you and overtake you. Now what are some of these curses? We're not going to read all of them. Don't worry. Just some of them. Let's start out with verses 16 through 20. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall be when you come in, and cursed shall be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. And these curses happened to the Jewish people when Rome destroyed the temple in Jerusalem as confirmed by historians such as Josephus, Eusebius, I forget the other guy's name, some E name. Now let's take a look at a few more verses from Deuteronomy chapter 28 which relate to Luke 21. Verse 25, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Let's jump to verse 30. You shall betroth the wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. 32, your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all the day long, but you shall be helpless. Verse 41, you shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Why all of these curses? Verses 45 through 50. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes that He commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until He has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. Sound familiar? Skipping to verse 52. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you had trusted come down throughout all your land, and they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you. The man who is the most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother, to the wife he embraces, and to the last of his children whom he has left, so that he will not give to any of them any of the flesh of his children whom he is eating, because he has nothing else left. 
in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in all your towns. The most tender and refined woman among you who would not venture to set sole of her foot on the ground because she is so delicate and tender will begrudge to the husband she embraces, to her son and to her daughter. Her afterbirth that comes out from her between her feet and her children whom she bears because lacking everything she will eat them secretly in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in your towns. That happened during the Roman siege, as recorded by Josephus. They didn't heed Jesus' prophetical warnings. He told them to run. Now what will happen to those today who do not heed Jesus' prophecies' warnings to run to Him? Because there will come a day of judgment. All of us will face death. All of us will have this temple, our body, surrounded by an enemy to destroy it. Disease, cancer, accident, whatever it may be, will we run when we are surrounded? Jesus is the only place of refuge. Verse 23, let's continue on there. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Did you catch that? Because who are this people? Who is that in reference to? That is in reference to the Jewish people back then. This people, people who had the Scriptures, who had the prophets. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 12, verse 48? Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. We know what happened to the Jews for their rejection of Jesus throughout history. History shows us. But now we're living in that time. And it's not here yet. What decisions are we going to make to run to Jesus? What are we doing with the Gospel that we have? What are we doing with the Scriptures and the prophets that we have knowledge of? Are we guilty of the same rejection that the Jews made back then when Jesus warned them, when you see this sign, run. Verse 24, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations in Jerusalem, will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What does this mean? What does until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled mean? I think it means until the conclusion of the current world order. And I think that what we've looked at so far is prophecy already fulfilled when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Now there are people who disagree with these interpretations and there is room for disagreement here as this is not an issue worth dividing over. If you debate me on this, I'm fine with it. I'm not going to be like, oh, you're wrong. I don't care. We're brothers. Let's hug. Like, you, know, you love Jesus. I love Jesus. But I think that my reasoning is supported to believe what I believe. Because since the destruction of the temple, Jerusalem has been ruled by Gentiles. Has it not? So even today, Jerusalem is claimed to be the capital of Israel by Israel, by the Republican Party. And as of last Wednesday, the Democratic National Convention. But it's not recognized by the international community as Jewish. It's not. The international community does not recognize Jerusalem to be a Jewish city. 
If it is, why is the Dome of the Rock sitting on top of Mount Moriah? That is not Jewish. That's where they want to rebuild the temple. The vast majority of the world recognizes Jerusalem as an international city, a non-Jewish city, therefore Gentile. And it's been this way since 70 AD. Right? You can't point to a time where it was ruled by Jews. The Roman Empire ruled Jerusalem. They started practicing paganism there when they took over in 70 AD. The Emperor Hadrian, he built a temple to Jupiter. He built it to Jupiter right on the Temple Mount, and then paganism was practiced there until Emperor Constantine. Constantine became a Christian, and so he took over, he Christianized the Roman Empire. But that's still Gentile though, isn't it? And then when the Roman Empire divided, Jerusalem was given to the jurisdiction of the Eastern Empire, so the Byzantine Empire, still Christian, still Gentile. And then came the Middle Ages. And then Caliph Umar the Great conquered Jerusalem and it sat under Islamic rule. In case you didn't know, still Gentile. right? And so the Dome of the Rock was built in the 6th century and it still sits on top of the Temple Mount today. And then the Crusaders came and they captured Jerusalem. They converted the Dome of the Rock to a church. Until Saladin came. And then he reconverted it to a mosque. And so it's still all under... Gentile rule. And we can go on and on with this history lesson, but you get the point. Jerusalem still sits with the Gentiles regardless of what Israel, the GOP, or the DNC declare. In the eyes of the international community, it's an international city. Gentiles. So what lesson can be drawn from this disobedience of God's people, namely the Jews at this time? You look at history, where we see that the Jews are arguably the most persecuted people to ever live. It's hard to point out another group of people. And through the Bible, we see series of judgments to these people for much of their existence. And they are the poster child to all of us who believe in God because how many of us have strayed, rebelled, rejected, continued in our sin, acted in disobedience against God. How many today still reject Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, who cleanses us from our sins so we can have a relationship with a holy God? See, the Jews help us to see this so clearly, don't they? Because there's a history that we can look at and see tangibly what happened. It's not theoretical. It's right in front of us and they help us see what rebellion to God, rejection of Jesus results in. Judgment is real because we have a just God. We have a God who is about justice. And the consequences of sin is death. God's Word is true and the prophecies in the Bible have proven to come true. The ones that haven't just haven't happened yet. But they will. We are in this present age, but there is an age to come. There's a not yet aspect in which we are living. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Here is where things get a little bit more controversial. But before I get started, I want to preface what I'm about to say with a disclaimer about eschatology, the study of end times. When anyone's thoughts about the end times reduces to exacting and detailed accounts of what's going to happen in the future, 
we have to be really careful. We have to be really careful not to take that as gospel truth. Right? For example, very few of you are old enough to remember when Social Security numbers came out. But when Social Security numbers came out, Christians freaked out. Sign of the beast, don't take that thing. Anyone here not have a Social Security number? Signs of beast, (laughs) haha. But we have to be careful about things like that because those are the type of detailed, exacting types of things that pull us away from the core and the life of what Jesus intended to share with us through His prophecies. When people start detailed mapping of future events in greater detail than the Bible even offers, it causes confusion, it causes division, it causes disagreements among those who genuinely love Jesus. And it's not a fight that we're supposed to be fighting over. We know Jesus is coming again. And the Bible is really clear about that. That is something to be dogmatic about. But all the exact details surrounding that is not something to fight over. As Christians, we can agree to be watchful and to be ready for Christ's return. So, with that disclaimer... Let's look at verses 25 through 28 and ask ourselves whether these verses are in reference to the prophecy of Jesus fulfilled in 70 AD or some other time in the future like the end times, or is this just something else entirely different? Now you'll find scholars arguing all points of this, and I agree with those who propose that this is a progression from a specific prophecy, the destruction of the temple in verses 8 through 11 to the end of the age Verses 25 through 28. That's where I fall. Back in verse 7, the disciples asked, Teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Jesus went on describing what would happen in verses 8 through 11, and then Jesus said in verse 12, But before all this, what is all this in reference to? All this is in reference to verses 8 through 11 which I believe pertains to the Jews before 70 A.D. and is towards that prophecy. Now jump to the latter part of verse 23. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Who is this people? We talked about this already. This people is in reference to the Jews before 70 A.D. This people. As Jesus is talking. right? This people. The progression from the Jewish people facing calamity in 70 A.D. to all people facing the end of the age happens in verses 25-28. through 28. Verse 25, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Notice that the sign is not specific to a location like Jerusalem in verse 20. This is worldwide calamity where there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations. Much more broad, isn't it? And you look at this phrase, the roaring of the sea and the waves. That phrase is a common Old Testament metaphor used to describe hostile relations between nations. That phrase is applied in a universal sense about nations not specific to a particular Location or nation. Now take a look at verse 26. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens 
will be shaken. You notice that Jesus didn't say this people like He did in verse 23 and verse 26. He used the word people in the general universal sense, not a specific people. There seems to be this progression from a specific prophecy about what the Jews would face in 70 AD toward people in general who will face in the future the end of the age. Now notice the more broad terms, world and heavens, in that verse. Further evidence of this progression to the end of the age is found in verse 35. We're not going to cover that today, but let's just read that verse. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. That's not specific to the Jews, is it? That's pretty explicit to everyone, isn't it? All who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So I guess if you're in the moon or out in space, you're exempt. But everyone else, here. So when the signs of verses 25 and 26 happen, and there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is to come on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then come verses 27 and 28. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. You notice Jesus didn't say run. He told us to be like meerkats. This is that. When we start seeing the signs of verses 25 and 26, it's time to take notice. It's meerkat time, right? And not freak out and sell all your stuff and move to the mountains and arm yourselves. There's no time for that. You don't even know that. That's too much detail. But straighten up and raise your heads. Be on alert. You're ready. No one knows when this will be. But be on alert if you notice these things because verse 31, you know that the kingdom of God is near. He didn't say run this time because I think it's the end of the world. Where are you going to run? Verses 29 and 30, And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that the summer is already near. So Jesus drew this parallel to obvious signs of when summer is near by observing what happens to a fig tree and other trees. And that it's similar in recognizing the end of the age is coming because we are told of the signs to look for in verses 25 and 26. Verse 31. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. What are these things? These things is in reference to verses 25 and 26. That's those things. And when we see those things take place, we know that the kingdom of God is near. The major sign that needed to happen before Christ's return has already happened. It's already happened. It happened in 70 AD, the destruction of the temple. It has already happened. Everything else is already set to happen at any time. At any moment. Jesus can come back. There's no other prophecy that needs to be fulfilled to prevent Him from coming back. Jesus' prophecy about the fall of the temple and Jerusalem came true. 
No one would have ever guessed that. No one would have ever prophesied about that. And so will his prophecy about the end of the age. It is just not yet, but it will come true. The question for you is, are you ready? Are you ready? You know what to look for. It's in verses 25 and 26. But are you ready? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your warning. You love us so much to let us know and not be caught by surprise your plans for us and your redemption for us. I ask, Father, that you would ready your people, that we would take seriously your warning. In Jesus' name, amen.